This is the Ministers of the New Covenant radio broadcast. We come to you in the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Son of the Most High Yahweh. Tune in each week to hear teachings directly from Scripture, focused upon believing in the Father, His Son, and the holy and righteous law of our Creator. At the end of this broadcast, we will give you the web address whereby you may contact us for further scriptural information. Well, good evening to everyone out there in Radio Land. It's good to be with you again and to have the ability for yet another wonderful time in our Father's Word. If you missed last week's broadcast, you can visit us at ministersnewcovenant.org. That's ministersnewcovenant.org and go to the sermon section of the website and there you're going to find last week's lesson under sermon number 379 titled, Yeshua Died, Yahweh Cannot. And I really want to encourage you to go and listen or even re-listen to that lesson because it covers several vital points when it comes to the doctrine of the Father and the Son. But tonight I would like to shift gears and move into another subject that is near and dear to my heart. And I believe it's near and dear to Almighty Yahweh as well. Most of the time it is placed upon the back burner when it should be at the forefront, it should be a very basic, fundamental doctrine that people learn almost right from the start. What happens, though, is this teaching I am speaking of doesn't get taught in the majority of churches today. And because it is a foundational teaching that is left out, many remaining doctrines get built upon a faulty foundation. So let's jump right into it. Have you ever asked yourself, what is the definition of sin? I mean, really, have you ever pondered upon it before? I know many of us have heard sermons preached against sin, and sometimes preachers go so far as to say that a person living in sin will end up in hell or in the lake of fire. But what do they mean when they say that someone is living in sin? What does it mean to sin against God? Some people I've asked this question to say something like this. Well, it means to do wrong. But then I have to ask them the question, how do you define wrong? Well, you know, they say something that is bad. Well, what is your definition of bad? See, all these answers skirt the real issue. They never give a definition for sin, much less a biblical definition for sin. So open up your Bible to the book of Leviticus. It's the third book of the Bible and is also technically the third book of the Torah. Uh, the Torah is defined in a limited sense as the first five books of Scripture, also called the five books of Moses or sometimes called the Pentateuch, stemming from the Greek word pente, meaning five. The word Torah literally means teaching and instruction but it is most often translated into English with the word law. And law is not an incorrect translation of the word Torah, but it is probably not the best way to translate the word into English. We tend to hear the word law and think of bondage, but when we hear the words teaching or instruction, we think of someone leading and or guiding us in a proper way of things, usually. Leviticus is the Greek name for this particular book. The Hebrew name is Vayikra, which means to call. And the book is given the name Vayikra 
in Hebrew because the first sentence of the book says that Yahweh called to Moses. I recognize that you probably don't hear much from the book of Leviticus at your average church, but this should not be. For instance, Hebrew custom, even in the first century A.D., called for teaching your children from the scriptures, and generally the first book that children would be taught from was the book of Vayikra. One ancient Hebrew teacher said that this was because Vayikra concerned itself much with the animal sacrifices to the Almighty. He explained that since the children were pure and the sacrifices brought to the Most High were also pure, then let us begin by teaching our children from the book of Vayikra or Leviticus. That's just a brief background on this book. So turn with me to Leviticus, the fourth chapter, beginning at verse 1 and going through verse 2. Uh, the text says this, Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, Tell the Israelites when someone sins unintentionally against any of Yahweh's commands and does anything prohibited by them. Now, right here in the book of Leviticus, we get a biblical definition of sin, straight from the mouth of the Most High. Yahweh tells Moses that sin is when someone does anything against any of the commands of Yahweh. What commands? Well, it would be none other than the commands we find in the Torah, the teachings and instructions of Yahweh, specifically the first five books of the Bible. To violate Yahweh's teachings and instructions means that you have committed a sin against Yahweh. And sure, we can say that this is a wrongdoing or something bad, but these words are all more specifically defined as breaking Yahweh's commands. The word wrong is not defined by what your parents say or your grandparents for that matter. The word wrong or sin is not defined by what any particular denomination or preacher or teacher says is wrong. The word wrong can only be defined properly when it is defined biblically. And the biblical definition of wrong or sin is to violate the commands of Yahweh. Now, you might say this, okay, but that's in the Old Testament. Things are different in the New Testament now. And I have heard so many people tell me this when talking to them about the commands of Yahweh. Generally, I have found that the reason they speak this way is not because they have studied the Bible, but instead because they have not studied the Bible. And I'm not trying to be rude here. I'm just trying to get a point across. I myself, at an earlier point in my life, would have dismissed the commandments of Yahweh in the Torah as irrelevant because... That's in the Old Testament. But let's begin to examine this objection by turning to a New Testament book in Scripture, the book of 1 John. Uh, take your Bible and turn to 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Now, before we read here, keep in mind that when John was writing this epistle, there was no New Testament epistles in the canon of Scripture as of yet. John did not tell people to open up to the book of 1 John, as I've just told you to do tonight. John was in the process of writing his epistle, along with other men like Peter, James, and Paul. None of these men carried around a New Testament with them, or even a Bible at all, for that matter. The only scriptures they had was what many people call the Old Testament, or more correctly, the Hebrew scriptures, or Tanakh. These scriptures were usually located, for the most part, in a local synagogue, and occasionally, if someone was wealthy enough to supply the material and had the time, 
they could write out their own personal copy of a certain portion of the text of Hebrew scripture. But this would have been very rare back in the first century A.D. My point, though, in all of this is that when John wrote 1 John, the only quote-unquote Bible he had was the Hebrew scriptures. There was no New Testament scriptures at that time. So let's look at 1 John 3, verse 4. It reads as follows. Everyone who commits sin also breaks the law. Sin is the breaking of the law. After reading that, what we have is not only a verse from the book of Leviticus defining sin for us, but we have a New Testament verse from 1 John that defines sin. And as you see, the book of John defines sin in the same way that the book of Leviticus defines sin. Sin is the violation of the law, the teachings and the instructions of the Creator, the commands of Yahweh. What law do you think John was talking about when he first penned what we now call 1 John 3 verse 4? Remember, John had no New Testament. John was an Israelite from the twelve tribes of Israel, and John only knew Scripture as the Hebrew Scriptures of which the foundation was the Torah, the five books of Moses. So all this being taken into consideration, I believe the inevitable conclusion is that John believed sin was violating the commandments of Yahweh found in the Hebrew Scriptures. So what's the significance of all this? Well, I want you to think about it. If we should not be involved in sinning against God, and sin is defined as breaking God's commandments, then that means we should not involve ourselves in breaking God's commandments. And if sin is still a real thing today, if people are still able to commit sin, then that in turn means that God's law must still be in effect or in force, else there would be no possible way to commit sin. And this is very easy logic, but in spite of how crystal clear the Bible is on this issue, you have droves and droves of pastors and churches in the world who will preach entire sermons or sometimes a whole series of sermons explaining to you that the law has been done away with, nailed to the cross, abolished, and if you try to live by the commandments of God, you are nothing more than a Judaizer that denies the blood of the Messiah. And at this point, I have to ask another question. Why did the Messiah die in the first place? What was the purpose of his death? Was he just a martyr for a good cause? Or was there spiritual significance behind his death? Well, the prophet Isaiah in the Hebrew Scriptures answers this for us in the 53rd chapter of his work, where we read things from his pen like, He was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. The prophet said that this servant of Yahweh he spoke of, quote, made his soul an offering for sin, and by his death he bore the sin of many, end of quote. This prophecy and many more texts in Scripture make it abundantly clear that our Messiah, Yeshua, the Son of Yahweh, died for the sins of his people. And the reason he died was to pay the penalty of death that the Torah demanded be carried out upon the transgressor. This is not because Yeshua was a transgressor, but because he was wounded for our transgressions. Transgressions of what? Transgressions of the law of Yahweh. Now in this, we see a picture of the law not being done away with. Not at all. I don't see that at all. Instead, it shows just how holy Yahweh's law 
really is. It shows that Yahweh must execute judgment upon the violation or the violator of his holy law. He doesn't just overlook sin. He punishes sin. And punish it, he did, when he crushed his son upon the cross. Isaiah 53 verse 10 tells us that Yahweh was pleased to crush his servant or his son. But it wasn't because his son had done wrong. It was because his son was taking our place upon the torture stake. And that should have been me being crucified because I was the one who had violated the holy commandments of Yahweh. When we understand all of this, it should not lead us to believe that to keep God's law denies the blood of the Messiah. The Messiah, Yeshua, shed his blood because the holy law of Yahweh was broken. And if Yeshua shed his blood for my sins, should I go out and continue to sin more and more? Wouldn't that be denying his shed blood rather than the other way around like so many people tell you? Let me illustrate it for you. Suppose you violated a city ordinance, a traffic violation, and you were fined or given the penalty of having to pay $2,000. But you just didn't have the money to pay it. So instead, you were going to take time in jail. Let's then say that a good friend of yours approaches you and tells you that he will take $2,000 of his own money and give it to you with no strings attached. You don't have to pay him back. He just wants to do this out of the goodness of his heart, not because you deserve it, but because he wants to show you the concept of grace and mercy. He gives you the money and you pay the fine. How would you deny your friend's gesture? Let's say that you appreciated what your friend did so much that you vow to strive not to commit the same crime again. You're very meticulous in making sure that you did not break the same city ordinance over again. Would this be denying your friend's gesture? I don't think it would. As a matter of fact, I think it would prove to your friend just how thankful you were for what he did for you out of the goodness of his heart. Now, on the other hand, let's say you left the courtroom, got in your car, and went right out and broke the same city ordinance again. Wouldn't this be denying what your friend had done for you? This will be like slapping him right across the face. You would basically be saying to him, with your actions, I don't care about you, your grace, your mercy, your money, your gesture. I'm just glad to be free to live any way I want to live. Now, in this illustration, your friend represents Yeshua the Messiah, and the court or the city represents Yahweh. The city ordinance represents Yahweh's commandments, and the person breaking the city ordinance remains to be you. So you have broken the holy commandments of the Most High of all the earth, and you owe him a debt, but it's not a sum of money. It's your life. See, the Most High demands that when you violate his instructions, the penalty is death. Yeshua then steps in your place as the sinless Lamb of Yahweh and dies for you, bearing your sins in his own body, thus your debt, has been paid by his proxy, and you are free from the penalty the law demands. Now I ask you, how should you then live? Should you go out and willfully commit the same transgressions over and over again? Should you just continue to sin against Yahweh's law? 
Should you just deliberately do the same things that got you the penalty to start with? Now, I believe you know that the answer to all of these questions is no. To do such would be a denial of the shed blood of the Messiah. However, to strive to be obedient to the commandments of Yahweh would be an acceptance, a loving acceptance of the blood of the Messiah. See, when you live in accordance with Yahweh's laws, you are a free man. You are free from sin and the penalty of sin. You are liberated from being under the curse of the law. It's just like that in the natural too. Now, I like to use illustrations because it helps to comprehend the main point in my mind. So, let's illustrate this. Suppose you pull up to a stop sign and you're missing a headlight in your car. You don't stop, but you just barrel through the stop sign and you don't have your seatbelt on. And as you're doing all this, you look to your right and you see a police car with a policeman in the car. How do you feel? Well, you begin to get sweaty and worried because you know you've been caught. You've fallen under the penalty of the law. Now, on the flip side, let's say you pull up to a stop sign and you stop all the way. Your headlight is in great shape. You've got your seatbelt on. And you look to your right and you see the same policeman sitting there in his car. How do you feel? You feel at liberty. You're free. Why? Because you're complying with the law. You might even lift a hand and wave at the cop because you've got no worries of him pulling you over and writing you a ticket. But why? Why are you not worried? It's because you are driving in liberty. Compliance to the law has made you free from incurring any penalties demanded by the breaking of the law. The longest chapter in Scripture, Psalm 119, speaks volumes about the liberating factors of the law. For instance, in Psalm 119.45, Scripture says, I will walk at liberty, for I seek your precepts. Verse 47 goes on to say, I will delight in your commands, which I have loved. Verse 93 says, I will never forget your precepts, for you have given me life through them. And verse 97 says, How I love your law, it is my meditation all day long. This chapter just goes on and on about how wonderful Yahweh's law is. The psalmist never speaks of the law of Yahweh as being anything but beautiful. He never speaks badly of it, for he knows that all of Yahweh's laws are Yahweh instructing him as a loving father does his children. Here's another illustration for you that I just thought of. I have five children, and I live on a fenced-in three-acre plot of land. I've explained to my children that they're free to play in the front yard, but under no circumstances are they to go out and play in the road. My two oldest boys can play catch in the yard all they want, but I do not and will not allow them to stand in the road and play catch. Now, when I give them this instruction, am I trying to hurt them? No. Am I trying to restrict them? Well, yes, I am. But it is a restriction placed upon them for their own good. I realize as their father that if they play in the road, the chances of them getting hit by a car are very great. Therefore, I place a restriction upon them, not because I'm keeping something good from them, but because I love them and I want to protect them. The fence that separates the yard from the road is a fence of love and protection. They are free from getting hurt and or damages so long as they abide by the regulations I have set down for them as their loving father. Now, sometimes my youngest children do not understand my rules. 
Sometimes none of my children understand my rules. But it is not necessarily their job to understand my rules as their dad. They need only to obey them. Now, as they get older as teenagers and eventually have children of their own, they will begin to understand that rules are in place for protection, health, and well-being. See, Yahweh has established a fence for us as his people. He's given us many instructions in Scripture, and it is not our job necessarily to understand them all before we comply. It is not our job to make the decision that we know better than him. It is not our job to think, well, what could it hurt if I do this just one time? Our job as his children is to trust him, have faith in him as our loving father. We've got to realize that he never takes anything good away from us. He protects us with his instructions. He doesn't want us getting hit by a car. So he tells us not to play in the road. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, Yahweh sent Yeshua, his son, to do more than just pay the penalty for sin through his death. His sacrificial substitute death is a very vital, important part of his coming. But it tends to overshadow his life in the theology of many. See, Yeshua also came to show us what it means to serve Yahweh. He did this by always being obedient to the Father's law. Yeshua observed every aspect of Yahweh's law that was applicable to him. He never veered from the straight and narrow path. He always submitted to the loving instruction of his father. He never sinned. Years ago, there was a fad when I was growing up amongst Christian youth that consisted of wearing a designer bracelet with the letters WWJD on it. And these letters stood for, What Would Jesus Do? And the bracelet was supposed to be an encouragement to people to ask this question to their self before making decisions in life. They were to base what they would do upon what Jesus, or more correctly, upon what Yeshua would do. And I know exactly what Yeshua would do in every situation. He would always, without question, obey his Father's holy Torah. He would never sin against his Father. And this means that Yeshua would not covet his neighbor's belongings, he would not murder or steal or commit adultery. Yeshua would have no gods before Yahweh. He would not be involved in idolatry or taking the sacred name of Yahweh in vain. Yeshua would honor his parents and never bear false witness against his neighbor. Yeshua would observe the Sabbath day, the new moons, the annual festivals, all the sacred times on Yahweh's calendar. Yeshua would eat only those animals that Yahweh deemed fit for consumption. Yeshua would wear fringes on the four corners of his garment with a thread of blue in each fringe. Yeshua would honor the gray hair of the elderly by standing as they approached him. And Yeshua would not shave the borders of his beard nor round the sides of his head. Yeshua would not tattoo his body or use unjust weights and measures. He would never curse a deaf person or place a stumbling block in front of a blind person. Yeshua would not wear a garment mingled of two materials or crossbreed livestock. He would never consult mediums, spiritists, or consult those who claim to speak with the dead. Yeshua would follow all the instructions about ritual uncleanness found in the Torah. He would never kidnap anybody. He would not break a vow that he made to Yahweh. He would always, always be obedient to Yahweh's holy Torah. Now think about this. How could you, if you followed Yeshua in your life, be doing anything wrong by imitating any of his examples? 
After all, he is the perfect lamb of Yahweh, correct? He's the sinless son of God, right? Are we really going to be honest with ourselves when we ask, what would Yeshua do? Or are we just going to wear it on bracelets as a fad and not believe what the acronym stands for? What I found in my life is that people want to say that we should follow the Messiah's example, but when someone actually starts following Yeshua's example, other people then look at them and exclaim, oh, he's just trying to live under that old law, or he's just a Pharisee, or he's holier than thou, or something like that. People think you've joined a cult because you quit shaving or started wearing tassels on your garment. But all you've done is decided to follow the example of the Son of Yahweh, Yeshua the Messiah. You decided that you were going to take it seriously. You asked yourself, what would Yeshua do? And then you begin to live the way you know that he lived. People then thought of you as being weird or cultic or pharisaical. But you know what? Yeshua was looked down upon too when he walked the earth. People talked bad about him, calling him a glutton, a drunkard, and even saying he was possessed with a demon at times. Yeshua's mission had nothing, nothing whatsoever to do with abolishing his father's law. That is not what he came to do. People have in their mind that the law is just a curse or bondage or some kind of prison. And ever since the Messiah came, he made it where we don't have to follow all those terrible rules anymore. And I've explained to people numerous times why I live the way that I live. And so often I hear this in return. They say to me, but Matthew, didn't Jesus die so we wouldn't have to do all that stuff? 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 How dare we call Yahweh's holy, righteous law stuff? Was Yeshua the Messiah just obeying stuff when he lived perfectly? Was that all just stuff that we violated placing Yeshua on the torture stake? Please, brothers and sisters, listen to me. It's time we forget what some self-proclaimed preacher says. Most preachers should spend less time preaching and more time studying the scriptures. Most of them are hirelings anyway that are out to fleece the flock of the people in the world. They come up with so many ways to make merchandise of the gospel. They're after your money, promising you liberty when they themselves are servants of sin. Telling you to sow your seed into their lawless ministry. Beware, brothers and sisters, beware of false prophets that come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. See, Yeshua tells us that there will be many who will say to him on judgment day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and perform many wonderful works in your name? These people thought they were saved their entire life. They even called Yeshua Lord, Lord, emphatically thinking they were doing so much in his name. But do you know what Yeshua tells these people according to Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23? He tells them, Get away from me. I never knew you, you who work iniquity. Do you know what the word iniquity is there? It is the Greek word anomia, and it literally means no law or without law. Some Bibles now translate it workers of lawlessness or even lawbreakers. See, Yeshua is telling them, you called me Lord, but I wasn't Lord in your life. You didn't serve me. You didn't follow my example. He tells this same group of people in Luke 6.46, Why do you call me Lord and do not the things that I say? 
See, it's easy. It's so easy to call Yeshua Master or Lord or sing about it in a song. But that doesn't make Him your Lord. The way you can know if He is Lord of someone's life is if that someone is obedient to the Lord's words. And this means they will be obedient to the commandments of Yahweh because Yeshua always taught Yahweh His Father's law. My time is slipping away, but I want you to make sure to listen in next week as I get more into what Yeshua has to teach us about observing Yahweh's law. He did not come to destroy the law, brothers and sisters. And it's vitally important that you understand that. Your eternal destiny depends upon it. You've been listening to the Ministers of the New Covenant radio broadcast. Our website is ministersnewcovenant.org. That's ministersnewcovenant.org. Please visit our website where you will find hundreds of audio sermons as well as videos, books, and articles explaining various doctrines in the scriptural faith. For questions, you can also call 678-347-6240. That's 678-347-6240. Thanks for listening, and according to His will, may Yahweh richly bless.